Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. We started this series called Simply Jesus uh, because we wanted to take a month and just totally, not that we're not always focused on Jesus, but we wanted to make sure that all of our focus stayed on Jesus. So we've been considering some hard sayings of Jesus. When I say hard sayings, I don't mean like Jesus was trying to be mean, but Jesus was trying to say, hey, if you want to really follow me, if you want to be considered a follower of Jesus, there's some things that you're going to have to do that may not be easy. Uh, there's a, I've been reading a book. Um, it's by an old dead guy named F.F. F. Bruce. Old dead guys wrote the be- write the best books before they die. Um, and he outlines 70 hard sayings of Jesus, things that Jesus says that are difficult either to understand or to live out. Tonight, of those 70, we're going to talk about a passage that lists 10 of them in one passage. Um, so what we, what we talked about last week, just to kind of bring everybody back up to speed, remember our three chairs, our three stools? I decided not to use the word stool because stool can mean other things. Um, so we're, we're talking, we're using the word chairs, and uh, everybody back there shaking their heads. Um, so chair, chair, the first chair... Um, represented uh, people who just have, you know, people who came to Jesus just to watch the show. Remember, Jesus was the, the greatest showman, greatest show in town. George, I got George's attention. Um, Jesus was, was, was the best show in town. He was a, becoming a big deal. Everybody was following him. They weren't following him because they wanted to believe in him. They weren't following him because they wanted to, you know, they wanted to serve him. They came to be served. You know, they came because they heard Jesus, you know, Jesus would heal people, and that was fun to watch. And while everybody, while you were getting to watch it, you got dinner and a show because Jesus would give you loaves and fish. He'd give you bread and fish. So you got dinner, you got a show, and you got some really interesting teaching. So people that were in this seat, they just said when, when they were, had to describe Jesus in a word, they would describe Jesus as interesting. He, he, he's interesting. I'll watch him this week, and then when, you know, when, it, when my favorite Netflix show comes out on July 4th, I'll watch that. You know, I'll just move on to the next thing. Then the next seat are people who, they heard what Jesus said, and they believed in what Jesus said. And what do we know about people who believe in Jesus? They become saved. So these are the people that follow Jesus, and they call Jesus, the one word they had to describe Jesus was Savior. They believed in Jesus to save them from their sins. And then there was this other group, this people that Jesus was calling him to himself, and they were people who didn't see Jesus as interesting. They not only saw him as Savior, but they they saw him as Lord. The one word they would use to describe Jesus as Lord. He's the one who's calling the shots, and I'm the one following. And Jesus was calling people to this seat. So no matter where you are, you know, some of you, you've been coming, and we love having you part of our crowd. We love having you part of our big, not angry, our big crazy mob. You know, welcome. Enjoy the popcorn. You know, I'll try to stand on my head up here and act like an idiot, and I hope you enjoy it. Um, but please know that we don't just want you to come. We want you to meet Jesus. We don't want you to stay here. We want you to see that you need a Savior and that you need Jesus in your life. That he's not just interesting. He's not just entertainment. He's not just something to do on Wednesday. That uh, you can believe in him and be saved and he can be the Lord of your life. So we've been looking at these passages where a crowd comes around Jesus and Jesus says some things that are shocking. And if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew 5. 
I'll give you kind of a minute to get to Matthew 5 if you're not real familiar with it. By the way, if you ever have trouble finding, you know, where we are on Wednesdays, just come up to me and ask me. Say, Matt, you know, before the service, like say, can you help me find, I've helped a couple of you find Matthew 5, so some of you guys are ready to go. You know, you're, you're there, you know, you're, you're ready to go. You got your Matthew 5 ready to go. Um, you're ready. Um, but in Matthew 5, our, like, the, what we're going to zero in on is verses 17 through 20. But if you look at verse 1, you see a crowd. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So imagine how crazy this was. Jesus is walking, he turns around and goes, Oh, a crowd. Like, <laughs> like, how do you not notice that? I don't know. I'm sure he did. But, you know, when he sees this crowd, he goes up on a mountainside, and he just sits down. And people were so interested, remember, interested in Jesus, that when Jesus sat down, they all just gathered around him and waited for him to teach. And Jesus went on here to what some people call, preach the greatest sermon ever. It was called, the ser- people refer to it as the Sermon on the Mount. It's such a long sermon that it takes up multiple chapters in the book of Matthew. And Jesus hits all kinds of things in this Sermon on the Mount, but he was giving this sermon or talking to people who were Jewish. Uh, they were Israelites, and they were following Jesus because he was the coolest teacher to follow at that moment. But Jesus said something in verse 17 through verse 20 that was very shocking to this Jewish audience. And when we realize what it means to us, I think you'll find it very shocking to you too. So let's read in in chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus says this, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, nor the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, if anyone sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly, they will be called the least in the kingdom of God, or excuse me, in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So this this passage that Jesus talks about, the theme is a word that we don't throw around very much, so we need to talk about this word, and the word is righteousness. Is anybody, I'm not going to ask somebody to necessarily give a definition of what righteousness means, but what's the first part of that word, R-I-G-H-T, right? Righteousness, or being righteous, it's not like being one righteous dude. (laughs) Um, Righteousness has to do with being like the state of being right. Um, And when when Jesus is talking about it, when we're talking about God, it's the state of being right with God. It's the state of being right with God. So Jesus is telling people how they can be right with God. Now remember, he's talking to a Jewish audience. And what's so interesting is that a couple of you that I've talked to have been reading the book of Leviticus this week. Like I've heard from several people, I was like, I didn't know it was International Leviticus Week. (laughs) I feel sorry for those of you that are participating. But um, God gave Israel this law that they, as a nation, were supposed to follow in order to be a light to the world. And that was how these Jewish people would follow God and be, um, be a light to others. But when Jesus was teaching, people were like, hmm, Jesus doesn't seem to be teaching the law. 
And the law is like how you relate to God. And Jesus seems to be actually changing the law. And Jesus is doing things that seem to be contradictory to the law. We don't think we like Jesus. Those were the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. So when, they were, when this was all happening, Jesus wanted to clarify. And in verse 17, he says, Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but fulfill them. And then he goes on to say what, what this audience was supposed to do was they were supposed to teach and obey God's law and Jesus' commands. So if you, if you got the little handouts, I don't have one in front of me that I can hold up to you, and, and you're, you're, you're taking notes and filling in the handouts, you don't have to. That's just something if you want to. Um, the first two blanks are that righteousness is obeying and teaching the commands of Jesus. Two weeks ago, we talked about the great co-mission, remember? And Jesus said that part of making disciples is teaching people to obey everything I've commanded you. Well, this is it. And what does Jesus say here? The people that said, oh, Jesus is just trying to break the law. Well, no. Jesus said, I haven't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. How in the world could Jesus change the law without breaking the law? A really smart guy, another one of these old dead guys that I read, um, he compared, and this is really cool, he compared the law of God that was given to the Israelites to an acorn. Those of you that are hunters, you know about acorns, because when you sit in the woods, you, know, you feel something really kind of you know, like lumpy on your butt, and you're like, oh, acorn. You know? and, um, and Wyatt knows what I'm talking about, don't you? I'm sure Wyatt sat on a few acorns. So there are two ways to destroy an acorn. One would be if I set the acorn down, and I <laughs> took a hammer to it, and I smashed the acorn into a million little smithereens. I've abolished the acorn. I've destroyed the acorn. Another way to get rid of the acorn would be to dig a hole in the ground, put the acorn in the hole and cover it up and allow that acorn to turn into a tree and to fulfill what it was meant for. And when Jesus says, I haven't come to break the law, but I've come to fulfill it, I've come to, as me, as, as God in the flesh, let the law grow into what it was meant to be and designed to be, Jesus shows that there are a couple options. There are a couple things that we can do when it comes to the law. First, we could just break the law. <laughs> yeah. And that's not a good thing because Jesus says right here, it's not a good thing. Um, the second option would be that we could fulfill the law. We could obey every little thing that, that God, command that God gave Israel. And some of you that have been reading Leviticus or you've been reading... <laughs> any part of God's law, what you realize is it is impossible to keep the law. In the course of human history, there's only one person who's been able to keep the law. Anybody know who that is? It was Jesus. And Jesus kept the law and he fulfilled the law. So now what do we have to do? We teach and obey, obey and teach the commands of Jesus. That's the final little fill in the blank under that first one. And Jesus has something to say about that. He says, it says, if anyone sets aside the least of these commands and teaches others something different, that they will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus says that your righteousness, the way that you act, you can't earn your way to heaven, but if you act in a way that is right with God, you will be rewarded in heaven. If you don't obey and teach the commands of Jesus, 
you will not receive awards in heaven. So righteousness is obeying and teaching the commands of Jesus. It's about to get really crazy really quick here soon. So just hold on, okay? We're kind of laying the foundation. Okay, we're working through some stuff. The next thing that we see is, this is the number two thing if you're filling in the blanks, is I can't get to heaven by my own righteousness. Verse 19, I wrote it down, and I really like the way I wrote it down, so if you'll just humor me as I read this. Verse 19 tells us how we can be rewarded in heaven. Verse 20 tells us how we can get to heaven. This is the test. This is the way. This is what it takes. He says in verse 20, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. What does that have to do with anything? Well, the Pharisees were a group of people who were known as the experts on the law. They were the nerds. Tell me, um, you're, you're probably on one or, one or the other side of this equation. I was on one for sure. Um, you know the, the moment of shame when you know, you've taken a test and you go to school the next day and the teacher hands the test back out and it's graded. You know, and everybody's looking at their score. The nerd next to me, Nick, or whatever his name was, he, if he got a 97, he'd freak out. He goes, oh my goodness, I got a 97. I can't believe I missed that one. And I'm like, bro, if those numbers were switched, I'd be happy. Like a 79 would have been great for me. Why don't you shut up? <laughs> because I feel bad. I'm sorry, am I allowed to say that? I feel bad enough already because I bombed this test, right? The Pharisees were the nerds. The Pharisees were the ones who they... Jesus was probably, he was, he was in Galilee, he was probably speaking to an audience that was illiterate, and the only Bible, the only scripture they knew were the, was the scripture that they had memorized. The Pharisees were literate, they could read the law, and they were the ones who told all these little, you know, illiterate rednecks what the law was, and I mean, that's just, that's the way they thought. I'm not trying to be mean or anything, because I'm a West Virginian too, you know, but um, he was, yeah, it, so they looked up to the Pharisees because the Pharisees could read the law and the Pharisees were the experts on the law. And what did Jesus say? He said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Houston, we have a problem, right? Because the most religious of the religious, the best of the best, the Bible nerds of the Bible nerds weren't righteous enough to get into heaven. That's a problem, isn't it? What was Jesus' solution to that problem? It's not in the notes, but turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you can. If, if you can't get there in time, um, maybe somebody next to you can help you. Um, if not, we're just reading one verse. But I, if you're taking notes, write that reference down next to this problem. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. Excuse me, verse 21. It says this. God made him, talking about Jesus. God made him who had no sin. Jesus fulfilled the law, remember? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
Do you see the exchange that took place here? This is, this is crazy. This is wild. You couldn't keep the law. You realize that, right? It says that Jesus took my sin and your sin. He be, it says he became sin for us. So every time you've disrespected your parents, every time you watched something online that you shouldn't have, every Friday night that you wish you could take back, everything you said to somebody that as soon as you, it left your mouth, you knew you shouldn't have said it, every sin you or I have ever committed was nailed to the cross with Jesus. He became sin. Here's the exchange. This is a really bad business deal. I'm glad Jesus isn't a businessman. It's like a bad trade. It's like the Browns, how they got Odell Beckham. Jesus got our sin. You know what we got back on that trade? We got Jesus' righteousness. We got the righteous legal standing of Jesus who fulfilled the law, who never broke the law, given to us on our behalf, and Jesus died the sin death that we deserved. Wow. Look at the person next to you and say, wow. Now look to the person next to you and say it upside down. Mom. Okay. Sorry. I know that's an old one. Um, but do you understand how big of a deal that was? Your righteous, I don't care how, how many times you've gone to church, I don't care how much Bible you know, I don't care how fast you found Matthew 5, your righteousness is not good enough to get you into heaven. Jesus said it emphatically. He said, you certainly will not enter the kingdom of God by your righteousness. The only way we can get to God is through his righteousness, through Jesus' righteousness. Here's the problem. There are probably a lot of you here that have heard that. If not, that's really good news, and I'm glad you're here to hear that. Most of you have heard that. But why is it that we seem to be tooting our own righteous horns so much? We actually find ourselves to be very similar to the Pharisees. These nerds, these teachers of the law, they became so proud of the fact that they thought they kept the law so well, they didn't realize that they fell short. That comes to our final point. It's that when I forget the altitude of God's righteousness... I develop an attitude of self-righteousness. You ever met one of those Christians before, a self-righteous Christian who thinks their poop don't stink, but I'm like, bro, I'm smelling something. You know what I'm talking about? People who think they're all that in a bag of potato chips because they go to church every week. That was the Pharisees, and Jesus takes the law that the Pharisees were, quote-unquote, obeying, and he demonstrates something to them, that they were not, in fact, keeping the law. I'll illustrate it this way. You know how the night before it's time, the trash truck comes, your mom's like, Jackson, take out the trash. And Jackson says, I'll get it in five minutes. An hour later, Jackson, take out. Sorry, I should have picked someone whose parents are not here. Jackson, pick up the trash. I'll get it later. Finally, you know, mom and dad have had enough. They storm into the room. You pick up that trash right now or we'll stop paying your cell phone bill. You know, or something like that. So he gets up, grabs a trash, and the whole time he's like, I can't believe my parents made me take this. Don't they realize I have a life, I got stuff to do. And he throws the trash. Oh, shoot. I didn't mean, sorry. I didn't mean to let go of that. He throws the trash in there the whole time, muttering under his breath how ridiculous it is that he has to take out the trash. And just apply that in whatever the situation is for you, right? 
Jackson obeyed the letter of the law. He took out the trash. But in his heart, he was disobeying and he was rebellious. And what Jesus demonstrated was that even these Pharisees, even though they were technically like obeying the letter of the law, in their heart was so much rebellion against God. And he goes through some areas that actually hit us kind of hard too. The first one he talks about in verse 21 is murder. Got any murderers in the room tonight? I, I knew there'd be a lot of smart guys who put their hands up. Um, so Jesus, we may, we're probably not going to make it through all these tonight, but what you're going to recognize is a pattern. And this is the pattern. Jesus says, you've heard it said, he quotes the law, and then he says, but I tell you. For each of these topics, he says, you've heard it said this way, but I tell you this. You've heard it said this way about adultery, but I tell you this. You've heard it this way about your enemies, but I'm telling you this. The first one he talks about is murder. You've heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. We're cool with that, right? Right? Shouldn't kill people. But I tell you. That's the first but I tell you. There are a lot of big buts in this passage. You know me and, and how that works. But I tell you. Anyone who is angry with a brother or sister, meaning a fellow disciple, will be subject to judgment. Whoa. Again, I say, I say, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which was like a, Hebrew, a, a Jewish Aramaic, or an Aramaic word of contempt, it was an insult, I don't know, I guess it was called the R word back then, is answerable in court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. What Jesus is saying is, hey, you think you're so great because Blake really ticked you off and instead of murdering him, you just ripped him up one side and down the other. But he says, you know what? You're still guilty because in your heart you have sinned. He says, if there's anything between you and somebody else, you need to settle it quickly. Some of you should read that. He goes on in verse 27 to talk about adultery. I'm not going to go through these and have people raise their hands about this. It's starting to get super, super awkward now. But Jesus says in verse 27, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. We're all cool with that, right? Husbands and wives shouldn't cheat on each other, obviously. But I tell you, I like, I like saying it like that. But I tell you. Um, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus is going past the letter of the law, right? He's going to the condition of somebody's heart. And man, isn't this one applicable in the porn generation, right? He goes on in verse 31 about divorce. This one's kind of weird. Like, what does that have to do with teenagers? Well, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. Oh, I don't quite have time to get into this, but this one is really cool. You wouldn't think, but it is. Because in Deuteronomy 24.1, God, giving the law to the Israelites, gives the grounds by which somebody can get a divorce. And he takes a term that generally means like immorality. If somebody cheats on somebody else, it's, it's, it's okay to get a divorce. Well, the Hebrew scholars, the teachers of the law, they took that term and they translated it and they twisted it and they twisted it pretty much to mean that if any husband, this is, 
thousands of years ago, remember? If any husband finds his wife to be, let me make sure I got this right, any woman or any man finds his wife to be displeasing, he can issue her a certificate of divorce. And according to a lot of historical information, there were a lot of Jewish men who when their wife got, quote unquote, too old, they would find her displeasing and they would legally be allowed to divorce her. That's terrible, isn't it? That's, that's terrible. That's terrible. And there were two schools that some thought that was right and some thought that was wrong, but both of the schools always took it from the position of, is it right for a husband to do this? Nobody looked out for the rights of or the well-being of the wife. But I tell you, <laughs> that does sound like Larry the Cable Guy, doesn't it? But I tell you, but I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for immorality, look what he says, makes her the victim of adultery. For the first time, probably ever, you see a rabbi who is elevating the status of women in the first century. It's a big deal. We'll keep going. Oaths. <laughs> Verse 33, again, you've heard it said, people long ago, this one's kind of weird, do not break your oath, but fulfill it to the Lord, the vows that you have made, but I tell you, don't swear an oath at all. Verse 37, he explains, he says, all you need to say is simply yes or no. The religious leaders thought they were so, so, so super religious and so awesome that they refused to, 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 if they were trying to like convince somebody that what they were saying was true, they refused to say like, and I've heard people say this too, and I'm not a fan of saying this, like something like I swear to, and then they mention the name of God to back up, to prove to what they're saying is true. So in order to be super religious and not do that, not take God's name in vain, they say, I swear by the city of Jerusalem. Do you notice I didn't use the name of God? I swear by the throne. And they thought they were so religious by saying this. And you know what Jesus says? He says, here's a great idea. How about you conduct yourself in a way that nobody could ever accuse you of lying because everything you say is always true. But I tell you. Verse 38, retribution, revenge. You've heard it said. I'm not going to have any voice by the time this one's left. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Somebody slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Somebody wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand them your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants you. The old Jewish law said this, if somebody plucks your eye out, <laughs> you have the right to pluck their eye out. That sounds kind of barbaric, doesn't it? And that's generally not, that was more of a hyperbole, you know, it was more of a, 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 a way of explaining that, and um, generally it had to do with if, if somebody stole something from you, you were entitled to have that much of what was stolen back, right? You know, if Avery steals... Avery's not in the front row anymore, but I'm still not giving up on picking on Avery. If Avery steals $10 from me, I would have a right to expect to get $10 back. That was like when Jesus gave, or God gave that in the Old Testament, that was like a big deal because back then it was like Hatfield and McCoy. Avery steals $10 from me, 
I'm going to slit the throat of his dog, you know? <laughs> it was this over and above retributive, retribution, I got tongue-tied, sorry. What, so the, the, the law said only an eye for an eye. But Jesus said, don't even do that. If somebody, if somebody steals $10, let them have your $10. If what used to happen back then, if, if a soldier says, hey, carry all my gear for a mile for me, carry it two miles for him. It's about the heart. And then finally, this is, this is the one you're not going to like, so I'm just warning you. Verse 43, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Ooh, man, some of you need to start a prayer list with names that are almost like cuss words to you because you can't stand them. Ooh. So, and here's what Jesus says. Look, and this is what separates a disciple of Jesus from everybody else. Up here, guys, up here. This is what separates a disciple from Jesus from everyone else. Look at verse 47. It says, if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? Look to the person next to you and say, don't be a pagan. <laughs> don't, don't be a pagan. But here, listen. The unbelieving world loves people who love them back. That does not make you special. That does not make you inherently a follower of Christ and someone who is living for Jesus just because, I'm going to pick on you too, just, Corey, just because Alyssa likes you and you like Alyssa and you guys get along just because you're kind to each other doesn't make that this super Christian love even though you guys are awesome. Super Christian love, love that pleases God is when somebody hates you and you pray for them. Whew. It got quiet real fast. We don't have time to get into the attitude of righteousness, but these Pharisees, they thought they were winning. In the words of Charlie Sheen, they thought they were winning in all these areas, but they were losing. And it showed up in the way that they reached out to others the Pharisee, you, what you would learn if you kept reading is the Pharisees, the only time that they would give to others who were in need and the only time they would serve others is when they could do it like this. You know, like, here, Blake, let me help you. <laughs> you know, as long as they could document it on their Instagram. The only time that they would pray to God would be when other people were watching. They would time it just right so that once they got their tray and they sat down at the table at lunch, they would wait till there was like a group of people around him, and they'd be like, guys, can you just hold it down for a second? I need, to, I need to pray. Oh, God, thank you for this meal. You know, one of those like KJV prayers, you know? And, and, and then the only way that, and then he would, he said at the end of the passage, the only way that they would fast, do the spiritual practice of fasting, is that they would tear their clothes, they would put ashes all over their face, and they'd walk around with a scowl. So that people would come up and ask, what's wrong with you? Well, I... I'm on, a, I'm on a fast, I'm on a spiritual fast. You know, it was all about the attention they got. And you know what Jesus said? He said, those people who do that, they've already received their reward. The reward is the admiration of others. And he says, what they lose is the reward, eternal reward from their heavenly father. So in our case, it's when, when we have the attitude of self-righteousness, we are trading hearts on Instagram for eternal crowns in heaven. So what do we do with this? 
We're going to get out on time tonight. Can I do a dance about that? Like, we didn't last week, but we are tonight. Okay, so what do we do with this? There are three options, and I don't know if I even stuck to the notes. So if you're taking notes, I don't know if I'm even close, so I apologize. There are three things you can do with this lesson. The first thing you can do is you can become discouraged. You can say, Matt, there is absolutely no way that I could ever keep all of these commandments Up here. There's no way I could ever keep all these commandments. I feel discouraged. I can't get to heaven. Jesus became sin for you. When you put your faith in Jesus, when you believe in Jesus and you call Jesus Savior, God doesn't see your self-righteousness and your unrighteousness. He sees the righteousness of Christ, and you become saved, and you can get into heaven. So maybe if, if you felt discouraged tonight, you felt like, Matt, you don't know what I've done. Well, Jesus does, and he still died for you. So some of you, you've been here for a while. You've been part of the crowd. Tonight's the night you make a decision to call Jesus Savior. The next reaction that you could have is to be dangerous. You know what I call dangerous? A Christian who sees Jesus as a get-out-of-hell-free card. And there were a lot of Christians that you read about in the Bible that saw Jesus as just that. You realize that when you see Jesus just as a get-out-of-hell-free card, a couple things happen. The first is the people around you that you're called to love and you're called to reach, they miss out on experiencing the love of God because you're living for yourself instead of living for Jesus. The second thing is when you get to heaven, you'll have nothing to show for it. You'll be like what we talked about last week as someone who barely escaped the flames. Your house burnt down, you have your life, but that's it. There's not, there, I don't know much, there's not much more danger than a Christian who's happy to just get out of hell. But the final option that you have is you can be devoted. You can do what Jesus said. Be someone who obeys and teaches his commands, not because you think it's going to get into heaven, but because Jesus took your sin on the cross, and he's your hero. And what other reaction could you have other than to give him your life? When I see the altitude of God's righteousness, there is no room for me to have any self-righteousness. Pastor Lemming said it like this on Sunday. It's a plug for you coming and listening to Pastor on Sundays. He said it like this. He, and he, you know, he said it in a very, like, you know, a lot, a lot smarter way than I could say it, so I just quoted him. He says, if you never see your abject, I like that word abject, that's, if you never see your abject spiritual poverty, you'll never be able to love God in the way that he deserves to be loved. We have been forgiven in a great way, and now we're devoted to God. We started out in the crowd, we realized there's no way we can get to heaven this way. So we see Jesus as Savior. And once we see him as Savior, we're compelled to be devoted to him and call him Lord. That makes sense. I hope so. Um, so let's bow our heads and close our eyes and, and uh, we'll pray and get out of here. If it finally clicked for you, uh, don't be looking next to you, but just I want to ask you a question. I'm not going to do one of those raise your hand, stand up, whatever. I just want to ask you a question before we pray. Maybe if for the first time tonight it really clicked for you that you can't, work your way to heaven, that you can't go to church or read your Bible to get to heaven, but you have to believe in Jesus. Tonight, as, as, as we're sitting here, 
Will you just say a simple prayer to God saying, God, I believe in you. I believe in Jesus. I believe there's no other way for me to get to heaven but through Jesus dying on the cross in my place. And the Bible says that when you hear the word and you believe in Jesus, that you become saved. If you become, if you become saved tonight, you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus, congratulations. Uh, for those of you that are kind of like me and you read this and you're like, wow, I've really failed Jesus in, in, in quite a few ways and I need, need to be more devoted to him. Spend a moment asking God to give you the strength and to give you that wonder of the cross back to where you will be devoted to him as your hero, as your savior, and as your Lord. So let's pray together. Uh, Father, thank you for bringing us together tonight. Thank you for Jesus. This youth pastor would be lost without Jesus. Everybody in this room, minus Jesus, is lost. So we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his righteousness that's been credited to our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.